Welcome back to Bible Time. We've had a few days. We haven't gotten anything up. Uh, Monday, we were on the road there, and the recording was pretty rough. It took a couple days to get that up. Um, but that recording it was on verse 7 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Therefore, brethren, we are comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. Today we're going to look at the next verse. For now we live, if ye stand fast in the Lord. For now we live, if ye stand fast in the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word, that it is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart, and we worship you today. We praise your holy name. We worship you because you are good, and we thank you for your word, which is pure, Father, that you promise to preserve, and we rest in the preserved word of God, that we know that we have your word. We Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, and for Christ's sake, amen. Now, we've been busy as well. Um, we've had been at the nursing homes lately. Anyone that listens to this, I encourage you to pray for those folks. Um, Brother Michael was preaching out at Autumn Oaks um, Tuesday, and we've been at Rocky Ridge, and um, just God's been blessing, and we're grateful to preach the Word of God, grateful to have an opportunity to preach the Word of God. Here he says, for now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. And this is a, a little bitty verse with a great big meaning. Uh, every word of God is pure. This is a verse that's hard to live up to, a verse that's hard to really um, reach in Christian experience for most of us. Um, I have a feeling there's very few people that have ever really lived in a way that has that they've been able to say, say this with all of their heart. For now we live... If ye stand fast in the Lord. Now, there's a saying that we say, oh, you haven't done that. You haven't lived. You haven't, you haven't gone on that roller coaster ride. You haven't lived. Oh, you haven't gotten to tip cows over. You haven't lived. Oh, you haven't gotten to swim in a creek. You haven't lived. And that's how we use that saying. In America, we'll use that saying for all kinds of things. We'll use it for stuff that's good and stuff that's not so good. You haven't gotten to drink liquor. You haven't gotten to get drunk. You haven't lived. You're a virgin. You've been pure and chaste. You haven't lived. And we get that idea about sin as well as about um, things that aren't sin. It could be a food. It could be something as simple as food. Oh, man, you haven't eaten that. You haven't lived. And it, and it exposes the carnality of our lives. It exposes the vanity of our lives. And it exposes the sinfulness of our lives. That we base our, our idea of living off of our experiences. The idea that experience equals life is laced all throughout our culture. And many people are uh, very annoyed or angry if their good time gets interrupted because I've only got one life, man. And there's a sticker that you'll see in places that's um, you've just got one life. So they say life is good. They say life is good, and then there'll always be stickers next to the life is good stickers about hiking on a trail or about going to the beach and having a good time at the beach, and people equate experiences with life. Paul says, now we live 
if ye stand fast in the Lord. The world says we live if we have fun. We live if we go to the theme park. We live if we get a good video game. We live if we get something yummy to eat. We live if we get a feast. We live if we get high. We live if we get some marijuana drugs. We live if we get to break something. We live if we get our way. We live if our election results turn out the way that they're supposed to be. We live if our country is what it what it should be or what we think it should be. We live if our government wins in the war between two great governments. We live if, and it's all external, it's all temporal, and the list goes on and on and on. Fun and rides and boats and planes, museums, food, politics, parties, games, entertainment, the world. First John 2, I believe it's 15, says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is is not in him. We're challenged by God, commanded by God to love one another. We'll look at that a little bit as we get into the lesson today. Here the Apostle Paul says, For now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. Paul's life was centered around Christ and others. Paul's life was centered around Christ and Christ's church. Go to Matthew 10 and verse 39. <coughs> I hope you'll pardon my cough fighting this thing. I need prayer. Matthew 10 and verse 39. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. This is exactly opposite of the world's doctrine. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you again asking you for anointing. Lord, I cannot preach without your anointing. I cannot preach without your unction and without your utterance. I do not deserve, Lord God, for you to anoint my lips to preach your word. But I'm asking you to do it, Lord, so that this will not be a dead, cold letter of the law dissertation and monologue, Father, a boring, dead, dry thing, Lord God, that can't help anybody or even Lord an exciting oration Father God with fancy words and um, ear tickling statements Father God if it's void of your power Lord I want out and I want out now Lord and I don't even want to post it I don't even want it to go up if you're not going to bless it Father God there's no point Lord we can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me but Lord without you I can do nothing and I confess that before you right now I love you today and I worship you in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen. I want to preach and I want to teach as an expression of Christ to those that I teach and preach to. The um, It's really hard sometimes to preach when you can't see people. When I was driving in the car, we were riding along in the car and I had that um, little phone set up there and I was trying to preach a Bible time. All I could see was my own ugly face. And you can get pretty mean yelling at yourself if you're like me. And I got a little mean there in that thing. And sometimes it came across that way, I think. And I hesitated to even post it. And I'm not going to lie. I don't usually um, edit out much besides, um, you know, just incidental noises and stuff like that that happen. But um, I did edit out a couple things out of that just because they came across wrong, even though they weren't intended that way. And I just ask anyone and everyone that hears these messages to try and hear them um, if as much as you can the way God would have them heard and give grace and have mercy on me. I hope they'll be a blessing to you and that God will use it 
Um, the it's it's really important that we preach the word of God with the anointing and not in the flesh and not in the strength of the flesh. Now um, we were talking here about he that shall find his life shall lose it. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Yesterday we talked about how Paul was comforted in the afflictions. He was comforted in all our affliction and distress, as he said, for your faith. When he found out about the faith, it was worth it. And that was the message that we tried to get up there. Um, another thing that made that recording really rough was the background noise of that diesel motor trying to pull that cattle trailer. It was so loud. I turned down the low frequencies to try and take some of it out, but it also um, kind of messed with the recording some. But in any case, as we were driving down the road, um, Brother Michael and I were, we were driving down there. We got to our first stop and we had talked from five o'clock in the morning till our first stop at about one o'clock in the afternoon. And we had talked about one central thing throughout the whole thing, the Bible and God's work in our lives, how God had got us to where we were, sharing our testimonies of different times in our lives, sharing examples and, and things that had happened, speaking about events that had happened, and then comparing scripture to them and scriptural responses. We left that place and we took off across there and Michael gave, was gracious and gave me some time to study and God let me study that passage right there on Christian fellowship where he talks about being comforted in our distress and affliction for your sake. And there we were doing something relatively boring, driving for about 26, 27 hours, not counting a, our stops to drop off some cattle. About 27 hours straight of driving there. and But we were comforted even in that little bit of affliction and distress for your faith's sake. Just, just the faith, Michael's faith comforted me and my faith appeared to comfort Michael. And we enjoyed that time of Christian fellowship. And in the midst of it all, as we were talking about all of that, um, the God gave me this message. And that just seemed to confirm and stamp on my heart and on my mind that that was right, that I had had the right message and we went on all night i think that at one point i think we maybe had 40 minutes maybe an hour maybe an hour and a half where we were listening to something on the radio where i was riding and i nodded off for part of it but the and it wasn't even a radio it was listening to a, um, a sermon and a testimony, but the, that entire time, 26, 27 hours, we were talking about the Bible, talking about the church, talking about people of the church, talking about past experiences, talking about what the Bible says, talking about how the Bible affects different areas of life and different areas of family and different areas in the church. And we enjoyed our fellowship and our, our fellowship made what would be the affliction of a 27 hour marathon drive, um, where it would have seemed like hard work and it would have seemed tedious. It didn't seem tedious at all. It was a blessing and it was a good time. It was, um, as much as I could say a fun time, it was a fun time. And that time where we're just driving down the road, sharing in the things of God became a good time and a good memory. And this is that, that Paul is saying here, way beyond that. We looked at that in that message that we did on the power of fellowship. <coughs> that Paul here was comforted in his affliction and his distress for your faith, his shipwrecks. 
Remember, we talked about that, his shipwrecks, his beatings, his stoning, um, all the afflictions that Paul went through. He was comforted in. It was worth it because of the Thessalonican church, because of the brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul, you know, Paul, it would have been worth it if he'd have gone to heaven um, without a single convert. We, We mentioned that. If he'd have gone to heaven without one single convert, it would still be worth it to know Christ. But how much more worth it? When you know someone who knows Christ and you have that Christian fellowship. Here he says, we live, for now we live, if ye stand fast in the Lord. The world says we live if we can have a good time. We live if we get to go on vacation. We live if we go on a fishing trip. We live if we get to go on an airplane ride. We live if we get the toys that we like for Christmas. We live if everything goes right. We live if we get a raise at work. We live if we've got a good savings account we live if the garden comes in good and the cows throw good calves and everything's working out we live if our health is good we live if we're beautiful we live if we're if we're strong we live we live if we're fit But here Paul says, now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. His life was bound up in this Thessalonican church. His heart was bound up in this Thessalonican church. In Matthew there, Jesus said, he that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. I've heard so many stories about rappers and rock stars and movie stars that found their life. They got everything they ever wanted. They got millions of dollars. They got cars to drive and houses wherever they wanted a house. They could go anywhere in the world and do anything they wanted to do and eat any food they wanted to eat. People would serve them hand and feet, hand and foot. They got every piece of clothing that they wanted. If they wanted to do their hair a little different, they could go and spend $150 getting a new hair style done to them. And they wouldn't even, they wouldn't even think twice about it. Just slap the money down on the counter. There's money to spare. If they want to go play a game of golf, they'd go get out their $17,000 golf clubs and go out there in their $25,000 golf cart onto a golf course that costs them um, $11,000 a year to even have access to or something like that. And they go out there and buy a snack for um, $12 for a little bitty snack. And they go out there in their $500 clothes and shoes and gloves and sun visors and walk out on the manicured lawns with a bunch of other wealthy people. They don't have to look at hungry people. They don't have to look at tired people. They don't have to think about the news or politics or anything. And they get out their fancy high dollar clubs and they hit $45 golf balls into ponds and cheat when they mess it up. Don't doubt it. And they think they've got it all. And they think they're living. And other people think they're living. The the roofer that goes to the rich man's house. And early in the morning, he's already working up there on the roof. And his fingers are blistered. And his his skin is nearly darkened brown from a nearly white complexion that a lot of people have in our area. And his skin is nearly darkened brown from all the exposure to the sun that has so tanned him over time. And he looks down as that rich man man walks out to his $185,000 sports car and slides in the seat and pulls out. And that man up on the roof thinks, man, if I just had that car, I'd live now. 
If I just could go golfing, boy, I'd live now. If I just had a nice mansion like this, I could live. I'd really live now. And he drives home to his little shack where his ugly old wife is sitting there that could be so much prettier if she hadn't had to work in a factory her whole life. She's never had a manicure. She's never had her hair fixed. His children are running around in there and they don't have anything nice and they're dirty and they've got holes in their pant legs and there's cockroaches in the kitchen and things aren't going right and he looks out at the rich man and he says I could live if I had that man's money I could live if I had that man's house I could live if I had that man's wife but Paul here says now I live if ye stand fast in the Lord I'm telling you today there's something worth living for that money cannot buy there's something worth living for that no amount of possessions can get you there's something worth living for that no armies on the face of the earth can conquer and that's something worth living for is not only Christ himself but it's Christ's church He's talking about the church here. He's talking about the church. He's not even talking about Christ. We sing the song, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. And it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. But Paul was already saying, it's already worth it today because I see you standing fast in the Lord. We talk about how it will be worth it as Christians when we get a new glorified body in heaven. And Paul said many times that he was looking forward to that And he taught about it and he preached about it. But here in the epistle to the Thessalonians, he says, I'm looking at you. I'm looking at a scraggly little group of outcasts, persecuted Christians meeting in secret. And you're not much of anything to anybody but God, but I love you. And I'm glad for you. And now I live if ye stand fast in the Lord. And his life was tied up in the church. His life was tied up in the people of God. His life was tied up in that little group of believers up there in Thessalonica and he said I don't need the golf clubs I don't need the super yacht I don't need the fancy train rides and I don't need the the best seats in the airplane I don't need the resorts I don't need the vacations I have the church I've got the people down at the church you say Paul what are those people to you some of those are Gentile dogs some of those people they don't smell very good some of those people aren't very smart some of those people are kind of dumb. Some of those people are kind of annoying. And did you notice there's a bunch of hypocrites over there? And Paul says, now I live if ye stand fast in the Lord. He says, I love the church. I love the people of God. I want to be around the people of God. I want to live for the people of God. I want to hold up the people of God. I want to strengthen the people of God. If I can give my life, he says, to help the people of God, it's a life worth living. For now I live if ye stand fast in the Lord. We're talking about a whole nother realm of living than most of this world has any clue even exists. What are you living for today? We have a song we sing in our hymnals. Living for Jesus, a life that is true. Striving to please him in all that I do. And on it goes. I wish I could remember more of it. (coughs) Yielding allegiance. Glad-hearted and free. What's the next phrase? You can look it up. Beautiful song, Living for Jesus. But Paul says, 
Now I live if ye stand fast in the Lord. We'll look it up another time. We're moving on. Thank you all. Now I stand, now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. Go to Matthew 25. Matthew 25. There is something worth living for. Listen to me, the old timers got this. The old timers got this. There's never been a time in America where there has been more stuff more things to live for, more opportunities, more careers, more things going on. In the midst of all of the stuff that's going on um, in this nation, as this nation has turned its back on God and is beginning to face the judgment of the Almighty God, and things aren't going as well as they could be, and that's a fact. Yet in the midst of it all, people are scrambling for more things, more games, more entertainment, more fun, and everything they can do every day with both hands. They're trying to live. Will they get a chance to live? I remember when old COVID-19 rolled through and we had a bunch of teenagers who didn't get to go to their prom. Some of you out there might say, what's a prom? A prom is a godless, filthy waste of time where a bunch of teenagers from school who are probably already shacking up get together and dance around like heathens and pagans to dirty, rotten, wicked, sensual music and the ladies all dress half naked so the boys can lust after them and they call it a big deal. And they... You know, at one time in this nation, it wasn't so wicked. It always had, you know, it was always had some edginess to it down through the ages. And there's always those that exploit everything for as much sin as they can have. But anymore, it's nothing but a cesspool of sin. And all these teenagers across this nation crying, We didn't get our prom. Boo-hoo. Our life is ruined. You only get one prom, and they're all in a dither and all in a tizzy fit because they don't get their prom. They didn't get to go get half naked and get lusted after and get their boyfriend out there and all this junk that's going on. And for that trash, for that trash, we had people crying and weeping and mourning, and it wouldn't shock me if there wasn't suicide over it. Paul says, now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. There was a day when our forefathers had nothing, not too long ago. A hundred years ago in this area in America, our forefathers had houses they built out of the sticks. They are outside. They cut down their trees. They sawed the logs. They stacked them up. They chopped themselves some shingles called shakes out of the wood. And they put wooden shingles on their roof if they could get a little bit of plate glass and if they could get some hinges for their doors, they thought they were doing pretty good. A couple chickens, a cow, and an old rocky hillside. They'd pick rocks every single spring. Now, it didn't matter that they picked rocks last spring. They had to do it again this spring, and that's how it is in the Ozarks. And that's why you go to these old homesteads and there are piles and piles and piles of rocks. Rock fence posts where they piled up rocks inside a inside a fence 
peace and made a fence post out of rocks. Rocks everywhere. Rock houses where they stacked the rocks. Rocks stacked under the houses. And they would work their fingers to the bone. But some of those old timers, they knew this principle. And they would say with Paul, now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. And they lived for Sunday when they could go to church. They marked time by Sunday when they could go to church and get around God's people. And you know what? A lot of them probably didn't even like each other before they got saved. But when they got together, it was hallelujah glory time. And they sang the old hymns and they praised God and they read their Bibles and they went back to work. And they had no life in modern terms. Do you hear me today? They had no life. They didn't get Christmas presents covered in wrapping paper with little gold tinsel all over it. They didn't get toys that make noise. They didn't get books that were all fancy and pretty. If they had a Bible in their home, they were doing good. If they had Pilgrim's Progress, they were doing real good. And that would be probably the second and last book. If they could get their hands on an old fiddle or a guitar, as they call it, which is a guitar, a guitar for those of you that are really confused. If they could get themselves at one of them, they would have a, a good old time and they'd play the old songs. A lot of times they'd spend hours and hours playing music and the music very often in godly homes, it would center around Christ and what he did for them. And they felt like they lived, young man. They thought they lived pretty good. They didn't have big stores to go to. They didn't have a bunch of wealth. They didn't have an internet. They didn't have cell phones. They didn't have computers. They didn't have video games. They didn't have a boat to take to the lake. They didn't have a lake because there was no dam built and the water just ran down the valley. And it was called a creek. And instead of a lake, they went down to the creek and they got the old crawdads out of it and ate them along with the frog legs. And they thought they were living pretty good oh if you could go on a coon hunt every now and then and get you some coons and skin them out you'd have some coon skins to work with and wouldn't that be a good day and they thought they were living pretty good this concept of living being tied to our temporal possessions is false Paul says here, now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. He says this immediately after talking about his afflictions and distresses. He's saying, I'm living it up. This is Paul saying, I'm living it up. I'm living the high life. Old Miller thinks they've got the high life. And it's all over their liquor bottles. Miller high life. But Paul says, I've got the high life. I've got stripes. I've got imprisonment. I've been stoned. I've been chased all over the place. I've been lied on. I've been cheated on. I've had everything I've owned stolen from me. But I live if ye stand fast in the Lord. I live because my life is tied up in the church. Time to move on. He says here, if you love Matthew 25 um, verse 29 for unto everyone that hath shall be given and he shall have abundance but from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath verse 31 when the son of man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats and he shall set the sheep on his right hand but the goats on the left then shall the king say unto them on his right hand come ye blessed of my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world for I was in hungered and ye gave me meat I was thirsty 
and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee unhungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done unto the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. If you love Jesus Christ... You love those that Christ loved. Your love for Jesus Christ is measured by your love for the church that he died for and gave his blood for. Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Christ is not interested in some emotional, gushy, so-called love that has no practical action. He said in John fifteen thirteen, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Here in Matthew 25, where we, at, where we are at, he says, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me ye cursed into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels for I was an hungered and ye gave me no meat I was thirsty and ye gave me no drink I was a stranger and ye took me not in naked and ye clothed me not sick and in prison and ye visited me not then shall they also answer him saying Lord when saw we thee an hungered or a thirst or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister unto thee then shall he answer them saying Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not unto you, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Jesus Christ died for us on the cross. He loved us so much, he gave his life for us. He gave his blood to purge us from our sin. John 15. Where he says, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. Look at verse 12 there in John 15. The verse before, the one we just read. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Verse 17. These things I command you, that ye love one another. These things I command you that ye love one another. We're going to look at this this concept of standing fast in the Lord and the and having your life tied up in others here in a couple more verses. Genesis forty four thirty. Here we're going to see this in practical application in the Old Testament. Genesis 44, 30. This is Judah. Whenever Judah went down into Egypt with his brethren and they took little Benjamin down and he had made a promise to his daddy that he would be surety for Benjamin. And his daddy said, if Benjamin doesn't come back, you will bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. He said, if I don't, if my boy goes away and doesn't come home, This old man will die in sorrow. This old man will die in grief. This old man will die without joy. And when they got down, those brothers got down there to Egypt, old Joseph, he was was using this to expose them and to show them what they had done to him. You'll have to read it and get the backstory yourself. We don't have time. (coughs) 
But Joseph said, I'm going to keep Benjamin here. And Judah didn't know that that was his brother, Joseph. And he went up and he begged Joseph to give him an opportunity. And he told he told Joseph this whole story about his daddy. And he told him about how his daddy had grieved for Joseph. And when we get down here to verse 30, he says, Now therefore, when I come to thy servant my father, and the lad be not with us, seeing that his life is bound up in the lad's life, it shall come to pass when he seeth that the lad is not with us, that he will die. And thy servant sh- servants shall bring down the gray hairs of thy servant our father with sorrow to the grave that's some kind of love love somebody so much that when you lose them you die my grandma was that way my grandma loved my grandpa my grandpa most of his life was a fighting drunk ornery rude spitting tobacco fairly unclean and don't get me wrong i love him and i honor him but he was a mess and if you knew him and you're not lying to yourself you know he was a mess He was a mess of an ungodly man, but right near his death, right before he died, a couple years before he died, in fact, and it may not have even been that long before he died, he turned to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, became a follower of Christ, trusted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, and was saved, and I thank God for him. I praise God for him. I thank God for what he did in my grandpa's life. But my grandma had never left my grandpa. All those years, she had served him. Do you hear me today? It wasn't pretty. It wasn't nice. Northern Arkansas, we're not talking air conditioning. We're talking good old hot, rocky northern Arkansas. And you have a sweaty man sitting on your couch spitting tobacco, watching dirty TV shows. You say, oh, those weren't dirty. That's just because you watch dirty ones too. All that trash on TV. And he's spitting his tobacco and he's drinking his liquor and he's cussing. And yeah, he brought home a paycheck, some of it, most of the time. But that family went through some real hard times because of his drinking and because of his sin. And here this sinner man is sitting on her couch and she's making him eggs and she's making him food. He'd go deer hunting and bring home a deer and drop the carcass on the porch and she'd skin that deer out and she'd butcher it up and she'd feed him deer meat he'd bring home squirrels or fish and drop them on the porch and she'd clean them up and tell him thank you honey well he went and did something else and she worked hard for her husband but she prayed for her husband she prayed year after year after year and nobody rejoiced more than my grandma whenever my grandpa got saved but when my grandpa was diagnosed with lung cancer and he began to fade my grandma began to fade with him And whenever my grandpa was laying there on his deathbed in the hospital, wheezing for breath, he's getting closer to the end, and and it was clear that he was getting closer, and they'd been separated um, just because of the hospital. She'd come to see him every day, and she crawled up in that hospital bed next to grandpa. And she laid down there next to him, and she snuggled up next to grandpa, and she put his old beat-up, weathered hand in her hand, those hard-working, hard-fighting hands hands that had turned to Jesus and she held his hand in her hand and she snuggled up next to him and she said I just want to lay here next to my husband and then when grandpa Burks died and they laid him in the grave oh grandma died with grandpa Burks oh she was still there 
for a little while, but she wasn't there. Her heart was bound up in grandpa's life. Her, her whole life, her whole service, everything that she'd lived for was for her husband. And she'd prayed and fought and wept and begged God for her husband's soul and been faithful to her husband in hard times. And when her husband died, she faded away. It was just a little while after that. I don't think it was even two years before my grandma Burks was laid in the grave next to her husband, next to her husband's remains and went to heaven to join her husband in glory. Listen to me. That's what I'm talking about today. Your life tied up in the life of others, not living for yourself, not living for the moment, not living for what you can eat, how much you can sleep, how much fun you can have, what kind of enjoyment you can get out of this life, living for others, living for the church, living for those that are bought with the blood of Christ, living for the lost who've never heard the dying love of the Savior and the resurrection power of the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world <coughs> what is your life bound up in what makes you tick what gives you life how do you know that you had a good time at the end of the week what what does it take to make you feel like you've had a good week at the end of the week how how often can you sit back with your feet up and say yeah it's been a good week I'm happy this week I've done everything that I wanted to do I've had everything done I wanted to get done what does it take do you have to get all your chores done every day do you have to get a raise at work or a good paycheck do you have to go to work every day and not have anybody bark at you and you just kind of slip by without even getting noticed do you have to have some peace do you have to have tranquility do you have to have quiet do you have to have have calm? Do you have to have good groceries in the fridge? Do you have to have a six pack of Bud Light? Do you have to have soda pop? Do you have to have candy bars? What does it take to make you click? What does it take to make you go? What is your life bound up in? Can you skip church? Can you just bow out of church and go on down the road and it doesn't affect you? You can go all week long. You can go to work. You can go to stores. You can go to flea markets. You can, you can go garage selling. You can go to the lake. You can go to the um, hunting, uh, hunting fields and hunt up some animals. You can go shoot a gun. You can sit online and sit there and stare at your little dinky on online video games or whatever it is. What makes you click? And then you don't even want to go to the church house? What makes you click today? What is your life bound up in? What makes you happy? What makes you content? Paul said of these people, now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. You say, we heard you say that. Well, good. Sounds like you're getting it. Paul said, now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. Paul's life was bound up in the church. He said, I'm really living it now. I got news back from Thessalonica and now I'm living <coughs> because ye stand fast in the Lord. His back pain hadn't gone away. People weren't all coming around to hear from Paul. He didn't have a bigger ministry than ever. Paul wasn't more successful than ever. He didn't have a better bank account. All he got, listen to me, all he got was good news that a persecuted church that God had allowed him to start was still kicking. And he said, now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. You know, most of us don't want to obey God's commands to love one another because it might and actually it will 
hurt. Not a might. It will hurt. What happens if they fall? What would have happened if Paul would have got a letter back from Thessalonica? Timothy comes back. Timothy comes back in and he's only got one of his arms and three fingers left on the other one. He's got a bandage around his head and a crutch and he's hobbling in there and he says, Paul, they're all gone. Half of them died. The other half turned on me when I got there because they were afraid of the persecution and they delivered me up. And they beat me near to death. They ran me out of town. I've been crawling from farm to farm. Some old lady helped doctor me up so my arm wouldn't, wouldn't heal and gangrene on me. And here I am and there's nothing left in Thessalonica. What do you think Paul would have said? It would have hurt. Do you realize he risked a person he called my son, Timothy, whom I have begotten in the faith. He risked, he didn't have a physical son. And he risked his spiritual son, Timothy. He risked his spiritual son, Timothy's life to find out how that little church was doing. What would it have felt like if Timothy got ran out of town on a rail? If you love the church, you're gonna get hurt. And that's why most of us won't obey God. But did you know that that's what Jesus said, greater love hath no man than this, but that, that, that a man laid down his life for his friend. And if you don't love the church, and if you can't get over it and love anyway, it proves that you don't have God's love in you at all. Because God loves so much that he sent Jesus Christ, his son, to die on the cross for our sins after three and a half years of preaching and healing and miracles the son of god jesus christ was rejected the son of god jesus christ was called a blasphemer he was scourged he was whipped he was beaten and he was nailed to an old rugged cross his body, after he gave up the ghost was laid in a tomb his disciples were dispersed and scattered and it looked like he failed. If you love, there will be failures. There will be pains. There will be hurts. There will be deaths. There will be persecutions. And there will even be those that fall away. Paul talks in another epistle about a man named Demas. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. How do you think Paul felt when Demas walked off? Do you think he had a chip on his shoulder, that rotten, no good Demas? I had a feeling he was a cur. He was a cull. I thought he was an old polecat. Not on your life. Paul wept. Paul mourned. Paul was broken. Look what he said to the church at Corinth when he found out about the sin in Corinth and had to send back that letter to them we call 1 Corinthians. And he said he wept bitter tears before he wrote that letter. I'm telling you, it's going to cost you to love like Christ loved. It cost Christ. It'll cost you, but you won't live until you do. Do you hear me today? He that findeth his life shall lose it. He that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. You're not going to start living till you die to yourself and start living for the Lord and the love of God for others and for the church of Jesus Christ. We don't want to because they might fail and we'll have grief and heartache. This is the cross of Christian fellowship, loving a sinful fallen people who will fall and will hurt you when they fall. 
Listen to me today. If you have children, one of them might rise up and rebel against you. So you have a choice. Are you going to have children and try to train them for the Lord? Or are you going to say, no, it's not for me because you're afraid of being hurt. If you say no, you have no idea the blessing you're cutting yourself off from. The love that God wants to pour through your life to others will make you say with Paul, now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. And there will be some who stand fast. It'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. Just beginning to live. Look to Jesus, who for the joy that is set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. First John, Jesus, whenever he went to the cross, Hebrews 12 tells us, um, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Listen, it was worth it to Christ, and it'll be be worth it to you if you'll follow Jesus. So 1 John there, chapter 1. <coughs> chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 9. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. If you can live without the church, then you can live without Christ. And if you can live without Christ, you will certainly die without Christ. And if you die without Christ, you will spend an eternity in the lake of fire, in eternal torment. He says here, he that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. Here Paul had said, if ye stand fast in the Lord, now ye live, if, now we live, if ye stand fast in the Lord. John tells us in 1 John 2 and verse 10 that there is none occasion of stumbling in him in the man that loves his brother. If you truly love your brother, then you live if they stand fast. And if you live when they stand fast, you would rather die than watch them fall. And you would rather die than become the source of the stumbling that brings them down. And that's what this is talking about today. You can tell a phony Christian right here. A man that loves the world and would rather do something questionable that causes his brother to sin than to hold off for the sake of Christ and his brethren is lost. That's what your Bible says. You say, how do you know he isn't backslid? How do you know he is backslid? The burden of proof lies with you. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. All we like sheep are gone astray. You have no right to call somebody saved that isn't living like Christ. 
No right. You say you can't live good enough to be saved. That's absolutely true. But if you're saved, you'll live like Christ. And what about those times that a Christian falls? Then the Christian is chastened and the Christian repents and the Christian gets right with God and you can tell again that he's saved. But to everybody looking on, to all the observers that cannot see his eternally sealed soul, that the Holy Spirit of God still dwells within him, a man that is saved and living in sin, looks lost and has no right to call himself saved until he gets right with God because his life is canceling everything he says with his lips and even though he may be saved and he may be backslidden nowhere in your Bible do you have any permission from God to assume that people are backslidden show me where it's at show me where it's at there's two types of people in the world saved and lost of the lost people, there are two types of lost people. Those who are lost and committed to it and those who are lost and seeking for Christ. And they will not stay lost long if they're seeking for Christ. Of saved people, there's two types. There's saved people who are living as Christ and following Christ and then there are backslidden. You don't have to drink a six-pack to be backslidden. You just have to stop loving your brother. And you're already backslidden. And the backslidden don't look saved to the observer. And will not and cannot look saved. You think I'm supposed to believe your t-shirt? Oh, it's your cross necklace. Oh, better yet, your cross tattoo. That'll do it. You show me your tattoo. That proves you're a Christian. James said, show me your faith by your works. So First John here. In chapter 3 and verse 16, this is very interesting because it lines up with John 3.16. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. First John 3.16 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. And then he carries it on. Listen to what he says. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. He that loses his life will find it. He that finds his life will lose it. He that lays down his life for the brethren is obeying Christ. And he'll be able to say with Paul, Now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. Verse 17, But whoso hath it this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, <coughs> excuse me, when <coughs> whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments. And do those things which are pleasing in his sight. And what is his commandment? He said, love one another as I have loved you. I think we've skipped some of those verses in John 15. You can go back and read them. Maybe we just buzzed by them. Chapter 4 here, verse 7. We're getting close to the end here. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Does it get any more plain? 
Greater evidence of your lost condition is your lack of love for the brethren. Greater evidence than a six-pack in your fridge. Do you hear me today? You think you're so holy, but you don't love the brethren. You separate and exclude yourself from all those that could hurt you, all those that don't look just like you think they ought to look, all those that don't measure up to your personal convictions and your extra-biblical standards, and you say you love God. And God calls you a hypocrite. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Nowhere in your Bible does it say, he that drinketh not a six-pack of Budweiser knoweth not God. It warns us about the danger of drinking liquor, alcohol. It tells us it's not for Christians, clearly, in the Bible. But nowhere does it say anything like this. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us. In this was manifested. What good would it do if God said, I love you, and then sent us to hell without doing anything to stop us from going? It would do no good. In this was the manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world and pick this up that we might live through him. We're talking about living here today. And God said, I'll live when they live. God who is eternal life laid down his life that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. <coughs> Verse 17, herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. And notice in between verse 11 and verse 17, he's speaking of God's love being perfected in us, the spirit of God being in us, testifying that the father sent the son to be the savior of the world, speaks of confessing Christ, of God dwelling in you, of knowing and believing the love that God hath for us. God is love, it says in verse 16, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect. All of your Christian experience, all of your Christian life is comprehended in love. The two greatest commandments, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love thy neighbor as thyself. All Christian existence is comprehended in love. If a man says he's, he's a Christian, if he says he's a follower of Christ, but he does not love the brethren, he does not love the lost, the man is a liar on his way to the lake of fire. It doesn't matter if he drives a buggy. It doesn't matter if he wears a black hat. It doesn't matter if his wife wears a bonnet. It doesn't matter if she wears a dress down to the floor. It doesn't matter if the man is a preacher and he says lord lord have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name cast out devils it doesn't matter if he never watches tv it doesn't matter if he's never tasted alcohol if you do not love you know not god for god is love there is no fear in love but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. 
He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this is this commandment have we from him that he who loveth God love his brother also. Over in Ephesians 6, it tells us about standing in the whole armor of God. We're not going to study that right now. He speaks of putting on the, he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. In verse 13, he says, having done all to stand. Verse 14, he says, stand therefore. This standing, Paul says, if ye stand, we live. If ye stand, we live. Isn't that backwards? If you think about going out into battle and you look around the battlefield and you see three men dead and one man standing, which one would you say lives? The one that's standing. Paul says, I would die for you. He's already told them this. He laid down his life for them. He was persecuted to get the gospel to them. And he says, now I live if ye stand fast. In the Lord. Now I live if ye stand fast in the Lord. I'm reminded of a man that served in the armed, for, armed forces in World War II. Actually, I think of one in World War I. And a grenade from the enemy, an explosive device, was thrown and landed in the middle of a whole group of soldiers. And there was no time to even think about what to do. Many men were about to die. And that soldier, out of human love, not even God, Christ-like love, threw himself on that grenade and covered the grenade with his own body to protect his brothers in arms. And the grenade went off and shattered his body. And he lay there while his friend held him, and the blood ran from his mouth, and he smiled at his friend. Because his friend was standing. If the world can do it over a grenade, over physical borders, over disputes, ought we ought not be able to follow Christ and lay down our lives for the brethren? Can you say today, now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. This is what God has called us to. This is the joy of fellowship. And it's centered in selflessness. Christ and others and then me. Very, very last. My life wrapped up in your life, giving all that I am, all that I have, everything that I am, that ye might stand fast in the Lord. Father, in Jesus' name, help us to live this. Help us to obey Christ and follow him. Help us to love one another. And Lord, if we have not this love in us, then please expose it and show us, Lord, that we're none of yours. Help us to judge righteous judgment, Lord God, and not to be deceived about our condition before you. Help us to pour our lives into others, Lord, and not to waste our lives trying to focus on ourselves. We love you today.
We worship you in Jesus' name and for Christ's sake. Amen.